This week on the Boag World Show, we talk about time management and finding the perfect size for an agency. This show is sponsored by Currency Fair and Video Blocks. Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag and joining me on this week's show is Dan Edwards. Hello Dan. Hello Paul. Good to have you and we've got Drew McKellen. Hello Drew. Hello Paul. And Sam Barnes. Hello. And Marcus Lillington. Hello Paul, that's very formal. My full name. Well, I, I thought I'd do each person individually because otherwise everybody kind of mutters hello at the same time and we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I like to organise things, keep things on track, all the rest of it. Good. Talking of being organised, how many of you have thought about Christmas yet? Well, I've seen well. the silly memes on Facebook saying it's like, whatever, four Mondays away. I don't know why it's it not- depresses me. <laughs> Is that oh, all it is? No, it's probably like four or five or something Something low. It's Ooh, not scary. Low. No. It's, it's scary. hardly four or five, surely. Well, what are we? We're on the... Yeah, we're, yeah, as we're recording this, it's the 7th of November. Let's have a look. I'm going to have a look. I'm opening my calendar. I expect now you're going to get all these tapping noises from my <laughs> mic after me saying I really needed to avoid doing that. Well, while you're doing that, Paul, I'll just say Christmas pa. My oh. da- my daughter is getting married the week before Christmas. <gasps> so the amount. What was she thinking? It's more. It's more the groom. In fact, he he'd say, "I don't want a traditional summer wedding. Let's do it in the middle of winter, around Christmas, when it's all sparkly." And we're like, oh, "Okay, yeah, fine." But then, sort of right now, it's just constant stress. So yeah, at, and to add to that, have we bought any Christmas presents? Hmm. Well, that's, we have, but that's just because we've been thinking it's just going to be utter craziness if we don't think about Christmas presents now, because obviously the kind of two weeks before the wedding, it's just going to be wedding Sh- fever. Well, it already is. Surely you've got to wrap that into Christmas and be smart about it, you know. Yeah, but one in- set of presents. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah. like my, um, my son's birthday yeah, is the 3rd of January presents for that's the issue isn't it uh, my son's birthday's the third of january and that's it that's him done for the year one lot yeah yeah good point See, i can't my, my girlfriend's birthday is exactly a week before christmas and you know she said ever since she was a kid she's never had a joint present it's like you know everybody else gets you know a birthday and a, and a christmas present so never am i ever allowed to get her a joint present which makes uh yeah, it makes December a very expensive month. Yeah, tell her to sod off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're married. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's just a way of things. But yeah, so uh, the reason I bring this up is because um, occasionally on the, the podcast we do a Christmas appeal. And I've got a cunning idea this time. Because every year it's like I ask people, oh, you know, don't, okay, why don't you give some money for, for this charity? And, and I support a charity called Bethesda, right, which is a ch- little charity in India. Um, they, they, you can check out their website at bethesda.project.org. 
But yeah, so every year I kind of, you know, I go, oh, I'll give some money to the show. Right, this year you don't need to give a penny, right? This year you just have to hassle your boss to give money, right? Although this doesn't apply, unfortunately, Dan, this doesn't apply to you because you run an agency. In fact, it doesn't apply to you either, Marcus. You two have to pay money. So, so I've decided this. Oh, right, just just, that's how it is. It is how it is. You don't get a choice, right? So, so if you run an agency, we all give. What happens is we all end up like um, uh, spending money on Christmas cards and and gifts for our clients. But let's on it, Marcus. You're far too busy for that, aren't you? Because you've got the wedding to arrange. You've got to work out your own presents. You, you've got to arrange the Christmas headscape. Do the last thing you want to be doing is thinking about the clients too. Isn't that right? Yes, Paul, that's exactly correct. That the, was that the yes. right answer? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, very good. That was good. <laughs> so instead, what I'm proposing is that everybody who has clients, right? So that includes Dan as well. Dan has to do this. Sam, you don't. You're all right. Well, you do have clients, but I don't imagine you get to decide these exactly. things. Exactly. Part of a machine now. But but you do have to hassle your boss. That's the that's the rule. <laughs> okay. Drew, Drew, I think you Drew gets out of this entirely because they're a product based company, so they they probably don't um, give their clients stuff. But he's he's off fixing his computer at the moment. So should we decide on his behalf while he's not paying attention? Surely that he he's has the to boss of a kind of agency type thing. He's the well, same he isn't, well, he isn't in the sense that he has thousands of clients, so he can't possibly give them all cards can he i don't know well just to, to he's fixing cables he at the moment yeah you're right yes, let's pretend he does. he does right he does so he has to do this so essentially instead of giving your clients sending your clients cards which none of us have got time to do anyway and statistically it's very dangerous 24 people um die per year from paper cuts on christmas cards that's a fact so <laughs> you don't want to risk it it's so not is it no, it's not. But it, it could be. What? Yeah, but that's nothing compared to the 12,000 that, that get syphilis from licking the postage stamps. So, so really, you just don't want to risk any of this. Uh, what a lovely no, intro. I've, I've so, kind of forgotten the point of this already, Paul. <laughs> so such a long segue. <laughs> so... All, all I'm saying is just go to boag.world dot com right forward slash christmas xmas i mean right um and just read the article so essentially what i want you to do is instead of buying christmas cards give the money to charity and send your clients an email that's all i'm saying that's fine isn't it see done there you go marcus is committed dan commit here and now on the show i'll commit the only thing is is i think you just read out the url wrong did I? I'm pretty sure you said bag.world.com. No, that's right. Is it? Um, I, no, I don't know. Boag.world.com. <laughs> no, sorry. It's, no dot, it's not .com. It's boag.world forward slash Xmas. Uh. I got it wrong. There's no, it's, it's one of these fancy new domains. Yeah, that is Look, a very fancy new. That is a very I fancy. actually thought you were going to say slash syphilis. <laughs> That would have been awesome. I'm going to set that up. That's it now. It's my anti-syphilis campaign. Now, Drew, who who has been fixing his mic, has no clue why we're talking about syphilis right now. I am none the wiser. This is yeah. quite baffling. 
But then so I have been on this podcast before, so I'm quite used to it. <laughs> oh, and we've also committed to you, um, you uh, to spending a small fortune and giving it to charity just while you were off the air. We thought we'd take advantage Sounds of perfect. that. Sounds perfect. All right, that's good. Right, sorry. So yes, if you want to get, if you want to get involved in that, hassle your boss. Um, it would be much appreciated. Right, that is the introduction. So now we're going to talk about the sponsors, which is, seems a bit unfair as I've just been hassling you for money. We're now going to talk about sponsors, but that's the way it is, and then we'll get into the discussion. I promise it'll be quick. Right, the sponsor today is Video Blocks, as has been from the last uh, couple of weeks. Video Blocks is an affordable subscription-based stock media site that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage. So, uh, Video Blocks also has a sister company called Audio Blocks, and they offer unlimited access to premium stock audio sounds. Right, so it's it's a really great model. They they give really good value and you get basically unlimited downloads for a, a set subscription fee every month. And you get something like access to 115,000 videos and 130,000 audio files. So you can, because you can download as much as you want, the average subscriber ends up paying less than a dollar per download over the year because you download so much, make uh, so much off of it. Um, so the, and there's great quality, you know, good audio and video material that you can make use of. Um, and they're always adding new stuff and you get unrestricted access to all that thing uh, stuff. One of the things that I particularly like at the moment, I don't know whether you've seen these really cool animated GIFs where um, it's like the majority of um, the GIF is just a static image. And then there's just one part of it that animates. And essentially you can create those out of little um, video files. So somewhere like Videoblocks is superb for creating that kind of really cool content so anyway video blocks is offering um listeners of boag world a year's subscription to both video blocks and audio blocks for only 149 dollars right so that's a hundred dollar discount on their usual price tag only for people who listen to this show and you can get that by going to videoblocks.com forward slash boag world 2016 right we are done with all of that kind of stuff. That is nine minutes of selling at you. That's far too long, and I feel very embarrassed about it. But the vast majority of that was me talking about syphilis. So, <laughs> so that's fine. Right, let's talk about discussions, or discussion topics. Sam, I think you're going to kick us off this week, are you? Yeah, um, so it's, it's a question I get asked quite a lot. Um, it's really around... What, it's, what the differences are between working at a small agency, uh, maybe a medium mm-hmm. agency, and a sort of large, either corporate or large agency. Um, this, you know, it kind of kicked me off this week because I, I read an article from a friend who had an experience with a London agency. Um, and it just made me realise that I've also had some, some really weird um, experiences with, with big city agencies where they act very differently. Um, so I thought... Oh, is that, the one, is that the one where he was talking about how horrendous it was? Yeah, it was, a, it was an yeah. interview that, that went ahead and the person accepted the job. Um, but then the, I think the founders called this person back in to sort of re-interview, even though it wasn't pitched like that. It was, it was definitely a re-interview. And uh, mm. it really, it really you know, left, a, left a bad taste in the mouth, as I think it would. Um, and it mm. just got me thinking about an experience I had with agencies. So I went for some interviews with some big London agencies, and there was a really weird attitude sort of from them. It was like, irrelevant of what you've done in your career, you haven't worked at one of the, the big agencies that we know of. Therefore, who are you and why are you here? Mm. I literally was asked that, why are you here? 
if you haven't worked there. It was very, it, I didn't really realize it was quite so bad. So I guess the, the question was sort of two parts. I know everyone sort of hasn't worked at all, all sizes maybe. So, so if you have worked at different sizes, what you think the, what you think the differences are, I'd be really curious to hear what, what you found that to be. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, well, I think we should start there really. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, that's a really interesting one because I've I've worked where have I worked I've worked at IBM which would be the biggest I've ever worked at mm-hmm. um, I suppose I've worked when we worked at the dot com markers that that got up to about a hundred people didn't it so that was um, uh, yeah that was fairly large um, but not massive was it most of the time yeah when when we were <laughs> they they just had a kind of uh, the people that ran it was called Avatar Interactive, and they just had a, a policy of just employing as many people as they could, really. Yeah, because <laughs> it was all lo- about looking big, wasn't it? Yeah, for that's them. right. Yeah. Um, so, so they they were reasonably large, and then of course Headscape was fairly small. So mm. I guess I've done the different sizes. Um, Sam, you definitely have. Yeah, you? yeah. I've worked small, medium, large, and product now as well. So, I mean, for me. I think it really boils down to a few things. It's always the difference in pace, culture, and sort of the ability to change things and the control you have. So when, I mean, they both got pros and cons. This is what I think people don't always realize. They kind of jump from company to company looking for everything to be fixed, and they kind of find some things are, some things aren't. Um, I mean, the one thing I would say is that I think that I, more by luck than judgment, I started out in very small agencies. Um, and looking back on the sort of 15 years, I think that was by far the best way to do it because I didn't realize how much I was learning. I didn't realize how many hats I was wearing at the time. Um, and over the years, what we found is that every time someone, say, from a corporate came to try and join a small, small even a medium, um, they immediately uh, seemed to drown a little bit. They were very overwhelmed by, you know, it could be the pace. Um, the culture might not be quite what they're used to, but I think another thing they found is that um, you know they, they they were used to very heavy processes, and I guess it wrapped them yeah. up and protected them a little bit. Um, for for me, I went from small agency to and, and went to bigger and bigger, and it was like there were some things like going from small to large was, was there were some nice things. So I no longer had to wear twenty hats. You know, I could specialize on on what I enjoyed doing most. I didn't have to worry about cash flow perhaps as much or coffee beans. You know, all the sort of things you think about when you're at a very small agency. It's a bit more of a family feel. But at the same time, while you get the niceness there, I found that I wasn't quite as happy because i couldn't really change anything you know um in some some cases i didn't need to but there were things i did want to i thought we could do better but changing it was just you know, really impossible so it's it's really i'm just really curious what everyone else had because you know it, is it the same experience because i do get this asked an awful lot um and it's always the same answer i give but i'm just yeah curious yeah i mean for me i kind of went in the opposite direction so so I started off at IBM, which was very large. Then I went to Avatar, which was medium sized, and then to Headscape, which was small. And I think the biggest thing you lose going small is is the career progression. But of course, that didn't matter in my yeah. my sense, because as I... You know, I was a very junior role at IBM. I was a creative lead at, at Avatar. I then was the business owner at Headscape. So I kind of got my career uh, progression in that way. Um, so it, it was kind of it was an interesting journey in that sense. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think you just kind of got to suck it and see. From my point of view, with large, you get um, you get uh, a big. 
um, you get the structures, you get the career path, you get the um, they tend to uh, be able to look after their staff a little bit better in terms of things like pensions, remunerations and that kind of stuff. Um, while in a small you get, you know, friendlier atmosphere, um, you like you say, you're more in control of, of how you work mm. and when you work and that kind of stuff. So it, it depends on character, I think, as much. Yeah, as that's very it. true. Very true. I mean, what about your interactions with, you know, your big named agencies, you know, big city agencies? I, I, it just that that article really hit home with me because it's something that I don't think is really talked about. And yet it is talked about, you know, I guess you could say behind closed doors with recruiters or with whoever. And it does seem to be a bit of a trend that the bigger the agency and the bigger the city, the more they only respect um, certain types of people that have, a, 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 you know, a written history that, that they can recognize rather than one that yeah. you know, can also be uh, full of achievement. I just wondered if that was just, just me and, and my friend or if this is actually, I mean, when I've worked with um, these agencies, well, not actually interviewed, but actually worked with them, I kind of did feel the same, uh, dare I say, attitude you know it was a very sort of um um they were much more above us they were looking down on us they were the the big boys as it were and i, I just just yeah. honestly just curious is it is it just a few of us or is this felt across the industry and is it something we should be talking about a little bit more i mean i certainly feel like it with with some of the london agencies that i've 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 worked with you know the the big players i've worked you know with sachi and sachi mm. or whoever um, but I think that, but then if I'm honest, I think I've got a bit of a snobbery about them as well, that, that I, I haven't got a lot of time for those agencies because they come out of a print background. I don't feel they really True. understand user experience. I think they're very good at aesthetic design and marketing, but not very good at user experience. And so as a result, I suspect they probably pick up the same feeling from us as we do from mm, them. Yeah. Um, you know, and you might just need to accept that they are a different breed of people that need different things. Mm. You know, you know, if you come from a user experience background um, and, you know, that kind of segment, then you are naturally just going to be very, um, maybe not a good fit for large agencies like that. And they should be looking for, you know, within the pool of people that do come from those kinds of backgrounds. It's a bit like saying, you know, um, I, you know, you're a mechanical engineer or an, you know, or a, a, a civil engineer as mm. different disciplines in a way. Mm. Marcus, what, you kind of you've worked with all kinds of different organisations over the years. What's your perspective? I, I have, but I've never, I've never been in a position where I'm trying to get a job at a large London agency, so I can't really comment on that. And as far as you know, their attitude to employing people, but. I've worked with a few uh, big agencies in partnership on certain web projects over the years, and um, they've always been great. Um, maybe mm. that's just because it's a different situation. Um, mm. I, I, so, yeah, I can't really comment on that, but I was just going to say that for us at Headscape, because I've, I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but we have got gradually smaller over the last three years, probably five years actually, um, just because it's just nicer that way. Mm -hmm. um, the, the benefits of being able to kind of everybody muck in, not having to worry about kind of HR issues and stuff like that just outweigh anything that any large agency or large company can bring. I mean, I remember when I used to work at a large company many years ago, uh, it was a paper company and, you know, I had 20,000 employees and you had great parties and things like that. You know, when the sales department had their Christmas party, it was, uh, it was amazing because there was so much money floating around, but the rest of the time you just felt like 
it, it was not a particularly nice place to work full of politics. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as you mentioned, Sam, you can't change anything ever. Mm. It's just done. Things are done the way they're done. So, uh, so, so how, personal... Sorry, go, go on. on. No, you carry on, Sam. Well, I was wondering, at, at Headscape, how do you um, address that kind of career progression thing? Because I think that is one of the primary reasons. You have good people that really enjoy working at that size agency, but it, it just gets to a point where it becomes repetitive. So how do you, do you I mean, do you have a, a specific way of dealing with that Headscape? We drug them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep them sedated. I can't yes, okay. them that they can leave when I do. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we, I, you can't have a specific, you know, if you've done this amount of years in this job yeah. or you reach this particular you know, amount of experience, then you will automatically move on to, you know, X role or Y role. It's more a case of keep talking to people about what they want from their job and from mm. their career. Um I also think that the smaller you are, which relates to what I was just saying, the less people worry about whether they're a senior or a mid-level or junior, whatever. It's more a case of, is the work interesting? Am I being fulfilled by the work? Am I being fulfilled by working with the people around me? And if if the answer to those questions is yes, then chances are that you're going to be less worried about whether you become a senior this or a manager or a director or whatever. Um, I guess if you really do want to end up being, you know, a board director or something like that, then you will have to move from, um, you know, from agency to agency, from company to company. But I like to think that, again, it's the, the benefits that we, working for somebody like us, outweigh those you know, possible, you know, personal requirements that you might have so well you say you say that marcus about if you want to be a board director or whatever you're going to meet, need to move company that's actually not true i mean at headscape I, we we took um a project manager who we originally hired as a project manager and he became a part of the board he, he did but that wasn't something that he could work to that was sort of like written down if you do x no. you can become this i'm not saying yeah of course i mean certain situations might uh, might come up that mean that that you, some you might offer offer that we've offered more than that person um, uh, board level uh, positions in the past. But so so at Headscape, do you tend to interview and, and take on people from uh, you know big corporate backgrounds? Because just from my experience, when we when trying to do that at a smaller company, it was nothing against the person. It was just you, they just didn't really fancy the um, you know the what they perceived as lack of. It's funny because when I worked at a small agency and I went to a medium, the people that had come from a corporate thought that that medium was incredibly disorganised, whereas I thought it was incredibly organised. It was it was very interesting, but. Uh, when we had people yeah interviewing or joining us um, from a corporate again they just it was such a different world they just didn't get on with it. i wondered if you know headscape do you do you have anyone that from that background who now prefers the smaller we've uh, i'm trying to think and we, we did have a, a very bad experience mm. marcus um <laughs> where we hired somebody but it, whether that was because they come from a big corporate background or whether it was because they came from a public sector background uh, yeah. I, I, yeah i know what you're thinking of thinking of paul and and the yeah, the the experience there was that they they wanted something more structured, mm. less kind of seat of the pants than working for a small yep. small agency, and that didn't work out. Um, but we're not specifically looking for corporate people, non corporate people. It's just the the right kind of mm-hmm. people, I guess. Mm. Um, we're always looking for people who are able to think on their own. I think is the most yes. important uh, mm. uh, quality for working at Headscape. Dan, you've been very quiet about this. What's, what's your feelings on it? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, 
we've kind of when when we have hired we've tried to look for people that are in in the kind of similar sized company to where we kind of see ourselves being um or you know so for example matt who we first hired came from he was a freelancer and he ran his own kind of shop before joining us and he stayed the longest with us and um we've always kind of looked for people that kind of like that you know they like the fact that they have an impact in a small team because Mm. they're typically the people that you know kind of are happy to have their voice and you know kind of uh not be afraid to give their opinion and and get involved and muck in and you know kind of uh, we're very happy to then share the intimacies of the business with them because they have a real understanding of you know what it takes to kind of make a small business work so we've always tried to look for people in that kind of space because we think it's kind of more of a fit for us in terms of what we what we want from them you know what we don't want is just another minion to kind of Mm. delegate the work to you know we've always been about kind of trying to create a small family feel and you know that might be corny it might be cheesy but it's kind of if we can get people that also want to work in a company like that um with the same values then i think that's really important because ultimately you know they'll stay with you and if they do leave it's it's going to be on really good terms generally you know we've we've never had anybody leave because they just simply don't like working with us they've always said we we like working with you guys we love you guys and maybe just a different opportunity has come up or whatever um and you know sometimes people's you know motivations change sometimes you know they do want to just you know i do i do need something bigger with more structure and you know i do want to get up to that sort of senior management role we're not able to offer that because we don't have that kind of we just have a flat structure so we just we simply can't offer that but we always try and get people that you know when they join us anyway that's what they want you know they want the flat structure they want to be able to muck in and get involved and feel like they're actually molding the kind of company that we become i can't say i don't really understand what when people say oh they want the the you know they want a career path and they say that i I don't understand what that means right is that code for i want more money because potentially you know there's you don't need to be in a large organization necessarily to be earning more money or is it i want more responsibility in which case again do you need a larger organization for that what what sam what's your kind of you you've got that bigger company perspective what do people mean when they say that i mean i've I've heard it in every size company i've worked at to be fair um and i think it differs between people when they say the same thing i think i think uh, a lot of people that say i want to be a director um they they just they they want to be important you know they want to be in the room where decisions are made it's appealing to them um other people um just they they want to know that they're, they're, they're what's next you know i think early in my career i was i was no different i was thinking what's next what's next it took me quite a long time to realize that you get to a point i think in your career and you start to do sort of sidesteps rather than forward all the time and the sidestep is just mm-hmm. as new and interesting um but i think you have to be quite lucky in your career to get to that point if that makes sense um mm. i i think it's uh, the, the, what I found managing people for, for quite a few years is that it's it's really about are you still interested in your work? Irrelevant almost of what what level of work that is. Are you still interested? I do. I mean, as a manager, I always say that it, you know a big part of my job is to get you to the next level. But I'm not going to say mm. the next the next promotion. 
you know it's the next level of your career the next where you've clearly clearly you know if you look back at where you were when you started you can see a huge difference because i think that's what to me over the 15 years that's what i sort of that's my sense of achievement that's what i think has got more substance than a title because you can move and get a title if you want it you can get you know paid less and have less authority with it it doesn't really mean much okay so i wanted to move on to the um to my subject i'm actually introducing a subject to discuss for the show dan i know you were amazingly excited to hear what i had to bring to the table weren't you you were you were teasing me on it in previous weeks yeah uh, yeah i just you know it's nice to see you do some work it's <laughs> ah, good and you're going to be so blown away by what i want to talk about i want to i wanted to talk to you guys about time management right um because there i'm this to be honest is a little bit of a rant okay and i want your opinions on this because i'm the one thing i hear whether i'm talking i'm doing mentoring with kind of agency people that run agencies or whether i'm talking to in-house teams the one thing i hear again and again is yeah i really ought to do that but i just don't have the time um and this strikes me as bollocks Right. Because, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because we've all got the same number of hours in the day. OK. And, you know, it's it, and and we all have bosses or clients that are putting pressure on us to deliver. So I don't understand how I seem to be able to do all of this shit and, and other people don't. In fact, not just me. I would say everyone that is in this podcast today, um, you know, are, are people that manage to blog or manage to contribute to the community or manage to do all of these other things above and beyond, um, you know, the, their, their job, their official job. And I'm just interested in, in really am i just being utterly unreasonable mark because you always like to tell me i'm being unreasonable what do you think you and i have a very different approach to time management i would say yeah we do but i still think you achieve shitloads <laughs> uh, yeah my my way my method a method that's far too strong a word um <laughs> the, the, the way i view time management is just don't worry about it too much you know it, you've just got to get on and do it i know i'm that Rachel sent an email earlier on that made me a laugh. Uh, made me laugh when she was saying that um, she wouldn't be able to make make uh, make it onto the show. But she said uh, her attitude to this is just do the bloody work. Yeah, which is kind of how I am. Um, and I and I, but I don't. What you do, Paul, is you're very very organised with your time management thing that you do. I can't remember what it's called. Get things done. That's it. Yeah. Um, which I, I I I couldn't I haven't got the time to do get things done. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I think inclination is the word there. Actually. But but what yes, <laughs> what you've done is nail it, right? I haven't got the time to do that. <laughs> is it, actually oftentimes, in my opinion, I can't be asked to do it. That's the cynical attitude that I have towards this. And that's fair enough. You know, if you don't want to do getting things done, you don't want to do getting things done. And that's fair enough. But don't pretend it's because of a lack of time. Yeah, I just, I don't get, I'm not constantly pulling my hair out. Oh, I forgot to do that. Oh, I forgot to do that. I'm not like that. So it's okay. As I say, you, I know what the priorities are. I write stuff down, I have lists in Evernote, and I just get on and do it, really. Um, yeah. But I guess, you know, blogging's a good one with me. I tend to, I'm, I'm 
I probably should do it more than I do, but I tend to blog when I've got something I actually want to say, um, which for me comes up about once every couple of months, and then I'll then I'll do it. But I can't do it like you do, Paul. I, I must get this out this one this week and the next one next week. I I find that too much but of is, a chore, which comes down to being not bothered. Actually, really. yes, I was going to say, is that because of a lack of time or a lack of inclination? That there, there is two very different things, isn't it? Yeah. Let Dan, Dan go, go on. I can tell you've you're champing at the bit. <laughs> uh, no, no, not at all. But um, yeah, I think I'm one of those people that's definitely. I'm probably leaning to, more towards you, Marcus, in terms of where I sit. I'm, I'm definitely. I, I write to do lists and then I forget to complete them and I don't do them in order and you know I, I struggle with them. So um, anyway, I was, I was speaking to a guy called Dan Moore uh, a uh, a while ago now, and and we spoke about time quite a bit and. Uh, it was just before he was doing a, a presentation in, in which he spoke a lot about time. And he said that he stopped talking about, I haven't got the time, as, in, as instead talking about priorities. So saying, yeah. this is not a priority for me right now. So when it comes to, you know, oh, I haven't redone my portfolio or, you know, I haven't written that article. It's because it's not been a priority because the priority has been something else. It's been the client work or it's been spending time with family. And I think ultimately that's what we all do. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe even subconsciously, you know, we we put things off because we say, oh, you know, even if we sort of try and cover up with we can't can't be bothered. I think it's just because something else is more of a priority to us now. I think that the problem comes is when the priorities are that you want to go and play the PlayStation, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, you don't, you, you know, Oh, well, I don't really want to write this article because I'd rather be doing that. And it's like managing your priorities, I guess, but understanding, I think that what is a priority for you personally, um, I think is, is very important, not simply doing something just because, somebody else also happens to put out an article every week. Um, and then, you know, those priorities change all the time for us right now as a company, you know, with lots of change and everything that's happening at no divide, you know, our priorities are having to change. We are having to kind of put a, you know, uh, kind of put some things to the, to the, uh, back seat as it were, because suddenly the most important thing is, is not that thing anymore. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have to put a, focus into something else and understanding what those priorities are i think is yeah it, it, that's what allows me to make the decisions i mean i want to come to to sam in a minute as a, the kind of project manager of the team he, he probably has got some good contributions but i i haven't got a problem with people playing the xbox you know or, and i'm not suggesting that people should work really long hours i think my problem is this one thing that comes up a lot is, well, I don't have time to do that because, you know, oh, I've got all these meetings I've got to be at or, you know, or um, my boss tells me I've got to work on this or our client's so demanding. And part of I would say part of our role in our job is actually to effectively manage those kinds of interactions uh, sam how do you see things because you must have to juggle so many different yeah. things in your role. um i mean i went from front-end development straight into project management and that was when i got my first hit of what real you know heavy context switching actually is um you know because i was going from doing maybe two projects a day to maybe working on you know between 20 and 30 different things yeah. um and i very quickly lost control 
So I actually mm. found uh, getting things done GTD as you did from a, from a friend at work. Um, I still use it to this day. It, I don't know how I I don't know how people operate without it now. Almost. No, I don't. I um, think. And also, interestingly, Rachel uses it. So okay. we don't have Rachel on the show. But I mean, you know, people hear GTD, and I think that a lot of people think I don't have time to do that because they assume they have to implement the entire thing. Which and it is. If you if you've got the whole book, it's huge. There's a whole lot of stuff you can do. But I think all I do is I have the next actions waiting for on some days. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the two-minute rule, which I really like. So that's if, if you get a task, whatever that task is, that you know is going to take less than two, you know, five minutes, two minutes, just do it there and then. No hesitation, uh-huh. just do it. And Inbox Zero. Um, so Inbox Zero, I think people think it's purely cathartic, but actually what it, what it, the real power for it for me is that I have no surprises. I feel like I'm yeah. in control. And for some, and that's, that's kind of leading on to what I found when people also say, I don't have time for this. Um, there's been many times, including myself, actually, I'm, I'm as guilty as this as anybody when I, I don't think I've got time because I'm just stressed or I'm overwhelmed. The actual yeah. things I've got to do in front of me can be done in the time that I have. But for some reason, it just feels like I've got too much on and my default kind of snappy answer is I, I haven't got time. Mm. Um, and I think when I've had a team member with that, you kind of just talk to them and say, well, what have you got on? You know, you just talk it through and you suddenly realise that you can do it. And again, definitely the kind of, you know, I just don't want to do it. I'd rather someone say I don't want to do it than uh, yeah, I, would as well. I haven't got time because I think there's an, but you know, I think I do that myself. You know, I, th- I think I look back and I, yeah, I'm as guilty. I'm as guilty there. True. I, I'm quite interested because I know that uh, um, Rachel's a big getting things done person. Are you as well? Or if you're not, what's it like living with someone that's that anal and uptight about task management? Yeah, I, <laughs> I haven't had time to read the book yet. So um, <laughs> I, no, I don't do getting things done. Um, uh, I don't know why. I guess. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, if I if I did read the book i'd probably have more of an idea about why uh, why i don't do it or why i should be doing it um I mean, is it I, that you don't have to juggle lots of different things as much no i have to juggle uh, dozens of things um oh, right. in fact, that's probably the the biggest challenge that i face is because uh, i'm primarily responsible for all our um customer support with with yeah. Birch, um which basically comes in on a rolling 24-hour basis and everybody needs an answer really quickly so it's actually very difficult to um sort of get stuck into any single bit of work like real work in in finger quotes um because you know but you i guess it's probably the same as managing projects you know the 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 phone's always ringing or there's more emails coming in from clients who need you know need a response you need to chase something up quickly it's like that with you know when you've got a a 24-hour help desk you just got to be responding to people and you don't know when you're going to have a quiet hour um or whether you're just going to lose an entire day to um to those sorts of requests so it's it's very very difficult and i i'm i'm not sure there's a great way of um uh of dealing with that other than maybe just not dealing with it and (laughs) and saying well you're all going to wait for for three four hours um while i get some work done um, is that i mean that's one of the things that i would normally recommend uh, and it's interesting i wrote an article that goes alongside this that we'll put in the show notes and you know i i list something like 32 little things that you can do to to you know find yourself more time and one of them is is batching stuff like that so you do you know all of your emails you know i talk about doing emails three times a day once at the beginning of the day once at lunchtime and once at the end of the day and i have to I have to think, you know, really waiting, what, two, three hours? Is that actually that big a deal that someone has to wait that long? Even with something as important as customer support, 
do they really expect you to respond faster than that? I think sometimes, yes. Um, right. Sometimes, you know, people have, have they've been, you know, upgrading a, a live website and something hasn't gone as they expected and their customer's website is now in a, you know, sort of broken state and they didn't read the instructions and didn't make a backup and, you know, they're in a panic uh, and they want help and they want help straight away and they're not going to be happy waiting three hours for that while their, mm. their customer site's down. And that might be an unreasonable demand for that customer of ours to make um but we don't want to be ignoring them whilst they're they're in that situation um Mm. you know but it is very difficult isn't it because other people put expectations on us the whole time and i think that's half the problem with with team management oh yeah oh yeah you've got to come to this meeting at this time well that time it cuts right through the middle of my day you know and and also out of that what hour and a half unspecified length meeting you know actually really there's only about 20 minutes worth of stuff that applies to me yet i have to sit through the whole thing and we can't and i think that's a lot of people's problems i i totally agree with marcus's comment about you just got to do it that's one big thing i think that holds a lot of people back is that they procrastinate about stuff rather than getting on with it but also i think the other thing is just picking up people's expectations people expect us to jump so we jump and and i don't think we can always do that if we need if we're going to be efficient in our own work yeah i think that's fair i mean sort of thinking back over my you know career to the time where i've been most productive um i at one point i had a job where i was one developer on a team of eight and Mm. i wasn't the most senior developer uh and so people weren't constantly asking for, to me to come into meetings and give opinions on things or whatever. Uh, I was able just to actually get on and do the, the work I'd been assigned rather yeah. than any other, any other, you know, work that was coming in. I wasn't, didn't have to do with clients. I didn't have to, you know, I just had uh, some features to implement and I was given them and I was able to sit and work a solid day coding and I've never been more productive. Uh, in fact, the, my other teammates, uh, you know, were sort of jokingly would, you know saying i was making them look bad because i was getting so much done Mm. um and that you know that felt that felt great to be able to achieve um achieve so much in a day i think that's part of of um what can sort of you know bog an individual down uh in terms of um productivity is if you have if if it's been a long time since you've had a really good productive day you forget the the sort of positive feeling of mm-hmm. getting to the end of the day and and thinking right i've you know i've achieved loads today i'm going to take the evening off i've you know um you know, i've deserved it and you can do that sort of that um good feeling you get about the work you've done if mm. once you get to a certain you know a certain distance from the last time that happened uh you can forget what you're aiming for you can forget that actually you're trying to achieve a lot because achieving a lot a get stuff done and b makes you feel good about the work that you're doing um mm. and so then it's difficult to motivate yourself to to keep going and to keep striving for that um and it's easy just to you know get, tell people you haven't got time and get sort of stuck in the in the mire a bit marcus yeah i've got just something occurred to me that i, I read the other day uh, this is it's a tangent, but it's kind of relevant. And it was to do with a sup- apparent or supposed trend towards people wanting to deliver lower quality um, in 
in the in the way they are at work there's this it was kind of a, it's a reaction to this idea that we're all expected to work 14 hour days and be super brilliant at everything we do and um, i think it was just in a newspaper i can't remember which one but it was just this idea that more and more apparently i haven't experienced this but apparently this is probably in bigger company culture um uh, referring back to what we were talking about a little while ago but this idea that people don't turn up to meetings and mm. they don't re- respond to tasks and they don't or or you'll suddenly get extra people turning up to meetings because they fancy just wandering into a meeting um and i just thought i'm reading this thinking i don't know if that's a thing or not so i thought i'd just fire it in here to see if you've if anyone's found that people are kind of I guess it's kind of it's a mutiny type thing, isn't it? It's like I'm not going to be this perfect individual. I'm not going to jump because you mentioned that, Paul. Whenever yeah. anybody expects something to happen, um, I, I haven't noticed it. But then we work in this nice little company uh, where you're not going to uh, have that sort of thing happening. But I have, yeah, I suppose thinking out loud, I have experienced it with clients lately. But then I may have maybe just because I've read the article, I'm noticing it, and it's something that's always happened. But I am finding that I'm I'm getting cancelled, and you know, a particular meeting, or I'm interviewing somebody, uh, and that'll be cancelled and postponed and cancelled postponed. And I just wonder if this is a reaction to it, um, expectations of you know uh, this idea of organising your time perfectly and making sure that you're we're as perfect as we can be. Don't know. I, I, I think it's it's quite an interesting one. I think it, one of the, it reminds me of one of the points that I raised in the article, which is that, you know, if somebody is asking you to do something that's unimportant, which often happens, especially if you're working as part of an internal team, you know, cut corners, do it quick, do it dirty, get it out the door and focus on stuff that's more important. You know, I see, I, you know, it's a lot of people that go, oh, well, I can't. You know, I can't think strategically about the future of our department because I'm always firefighting, you know, stuff that the CEO wants us to do or whatever. Well, do it quick. Do it to a low standard and just get out of the door and move on to what's more important personally. But, you know, and as far as meetings are concerned, you know, I'm just saying I think meetings most of the time um, are the biggest waste of time ever personally but i'm sure sam as a project manager you're going to massively disagree with me on no that. not really um i no. mean <laughs> there are some meetings that are a waste of time. it's about the person running the meeting i think that you should yeah. the default should be you you can dial in or video in like in, yeah. in today's technology that should just be a given so you don't have to leave your desk you can listen you know uh, uh, and contribute where you need to or you know what shut off but you're still there you can type whatever there's a there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a compromise to be had there yeah, I would agree. I mean, one of the thing, another thing I say in the article is, well, if they've got certain questions that they want you to cover in the meeting, get the questions in advance and email them the responses to it. Perfect. And that they can call you while they're in the meeting if they need to, but otherwise you can just get on with your work. Or just f- get them to give you a flipping agenda for the meeting, which so many people seem reluctant to put the effort into putting a flipping agenda together. And get an agenda and just turn up for the 10 minutes you need to be there out of the three-hour frigging meeting. Anyway, I'm ranting. Drew. The last time I had a proper job, the real killer meetings were daily stand-ups. Really? Now that's interesting. Every morning we'd have a stand-up at like half past nine. So you'd get into the office half past eight and you'd sort of potter email a little bit thinking you can't really start anything because you know you've got a meeting at half past nine. Yeah. 
and then you'd go to go to the meeting you'd have to find where the meeting room was uh, which meeting room it was in that day which floor that was on find where on earth the meeting room is on that floor get, then you'd get to your meeting you'd all stand there for 45 minutes an hour while people what? say what wow. they're doing <laughs> that's not stand up that's torture <laughs> yeah well it was it was definitely standing up um, <laughs> for a very long time uh, and then you know you'd, you'd say so you'd do that and then by the time you got back to your desk it was 11 o'clock half 11 maybe you think oh they won't start anything now because it's going to be lunchtime soon and, <laughs> i mean you, so it would just completely kill your productivity for the whole of the morning i've seen them so, done on slack recently stand ups on slack you have maybe one in person per week but if, you, if you're going you know good guns as it were then people just do it in slack it seems to work fine yeah, I think that would be sensible. I mean, ideally, if you're all communicating, you know, on something like Slack where it doesn't, you know, it's not disruptive for, for somebody to give a status update, they can give a status update and other people can view it as and when, yeah. um, then, you know, there's there's no need to have a, a, a meeting at all. Um, but you what you've just, identified really well there, Drew, is the fact that, you know, a, a meeting isn't just the time of the meeting, it's the time either side of it as well. And that's so true with any kind of interruption. You know, it, it starts eating into time around it because, you know, you've got to go, well, what was I doing again? Or in your case, find the frigging meeting room and all the rest of it. So there's so much more when it comes to interruptions. Dan, how do you, you know, how do you deal with all this? Well, yeah, I was going to comment on the stand-ups, really, because it was oh, yeah. something that we um, we do. Uh, as a company and we found ourselves basically you know getting having just having time just run away with us and just you know kind of chatting about all sorts really and then we'd have exactly that you know we wouldn't start any, any real work until them and then we'd run on for too long and it'd be like right that's lunch and it was just ridiculous so we we set ourselves rules basically that just you know we wouldn't discuss personal things unless somebody obviously wanted to and gen you know particularly something they said oh, oh i really need to speak to you guys about this but that wouldn't be done in the stand-up typically so you know we, we limited the water cooler talk you know um so you know keep the informal chat to a maximum of five minutes hello how are you doing that kind of thing you know if there was something that happened the night before quickly ask about it but that's very that's it um just focus on what each person needs to accomplish for the day any roadblocks that sort of stand in the way um and any in-depth conversations we'd say right well let's schedule a time in to speak about that later on in the day or whatever um all personal sort of just chit chat would be just done on slack and we would have a maximum of 15 minutes for the session so if we said right well you know we've already hit the 15 minutes guys we're all clear on what we need to do um then we would just go right well let's send that and we would we would literally just cut it so we just always try to keep a kind of uh i don't know an eye on exactly what was going on and what what were the point of having them was and if we felt you know that we didn't need to have them we we would it would just be as simple as a message on slack to the channel just saying hey guys and unless anybody disagrees, don't think there's a reason to have a stand up this morning. And I think that's the thing. Meetings for the sake of meetings are the worst thing in the world. So if you if you don't need a stand up, then don't do them. We found them as a remote company because we don't really get face to face time. It w is nice to have that 15 minutes like, oh, hello, morning. How are you doing? You know, um, and then, OK, what are you working on today? OK, cool. This is what I'm doing. By the way, I need this before I can do that. You know, it just kind of just gets that stuff out of the way very quickly. And um, I also think it kind of just brings everybody together as almost like an, an as as a kind of like we're all starting the day now. Um, and, you know, for us, it worked, but we did have to limit it because, you know, it's very easy to kind of um, 
set the world to rights. You know, I remember when Brexit happened, we spoke for about an hour, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it was just like, you know, you can't do that all the time. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, but having those rules and kind of things in place that allowed us to kind of make sure we kept them really focused, uh, was really important for us. We stopped doing daily stand-ups for exactly the reason that Drew was describing, that basically, unless you force people all to come in at the same time, which we never wanted to do because we're a small company and some people like starting early, some people like starting late, et cetera, et cetera, that they just get in the way. Um, so obviously we have project discussions all the time, uh, which might be meetings, they might be on Slack, um, but we basically have a, a kind of chatty stand-up every tuesday lunchtime where i provide food um and you can basically whatever you get what you're working on what you know what's coming up all that kind of thing but also you can talk about anything you like and it can take you know an hour and a half or whatever but it's over lunch um yeah. or either side of lunch so that seems to work quite nicely at the moment mm. can i come yes you can very welcome <laughs> you must get i mean you you've got a bit of a, a weird problem drew that you spend most of your life working by yourself although i suppose so do i for that matter but it, you know it's a diff it's a different set of problems isn't it then yeah yeah and i think that um that can that leads in its um in its own way to other problems which is are you thinking you know if if you're a project team of essentially one or or two um that then you don't have all the overhead of of the bureaucracy of of managing a project but sometimes it can go the other way and then uh, you don't have any system in place and mm. the danger is i can end up going off down a rabbit hole um doing a whole bunch of work and like rachel isn't is you know she's constantly on at me like what are you doing what on earth are you doing not that i'm doing you know something i shouldn't be doing um but it's just like she doesn't know um because mm. we don't have the project management structure then around it because there's not more of us where we need to be more formally organized um so yeah it can you know sometimes i think uh, a, a daily stand-up meeting might uh, might help but uh, one of I'm the not, things i'm not standing yeah hello drew no. it's drew here what are you working yes. on today <laughs> In the, in the mirror you're a tiger you're a tiger <laughs> see i i've found myself starting to have something that's very unlike me which is um i've found myself starting to procrastinate more you know i, I always used to be someone i oh, just make a decision and get on with it but now it's just me i'm beginning to you know i always knew i had the safety net before of um chris will tell me that i'm being an idiot stop doing that do something useful um but i don't have that anymore and, and so i've i've found myself starting to procrastinate a little bit more over stuff and not make decisions and go oh is that good enough or oh, perhaps i ought to do it this way or so i think that's another big thing about productivity is just to make a freaking decision you know move on keep moving forward the whole time and talking of that I think we probably ought to wrap up. Do you know, we've only managed to get through two subjects this week. That's a, that's a new low. Well done, us. <laughs> so, but there you go. Such is life and, and uh, good uh, good subjects they were. And, I, you know, I, I think mine was the best. Well, that's all I'm saying. It's like irony of the time management there, Paul, but let's carry on. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. You have, you have pointed out the fundamental <laughs> flaw there. <laughs> Thanks, project manager. No problem at all. Always here to help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
All right, let's talk quickly about our um, our second sponsor for the day, which is Currency Fair. Um, they enable you to save about 80% on international transfer fees and exchange rates. They've got none of that hidden commission thing of where we're going to give you a really rubbish um, exchange rate um, so that we can make a profit off of this. Um, their rates average about 0.35% above the rate that you'll see quoted on Google. So you can see exactly how much they're making out of the, the whole scenario. Um, and their rates are live. They're constantly updating all the time. And you can go along to their website and find find out exactly how much money um, they're, they're getting. Uh, so the customers can um, exchange immediately if you want to. So you can go along, see how much you'll get for your money and then make an exchange there and then. Or you can wait until um, a certain exchange rate is matched, which is, is really useful. We've got, um, they've got many different types of customers. Obviously, it's great for small businesses like me that deal with um, clients abroad and you, you end up with money in US dollars or whatever. Um, but even like, you know, Marcus, I think, for example, I, th- I could imagine you retiring very soon because you are so incredibly old <laughs> um, and retiring maybe to the south of France. Does that appeal? That sounds yeah. lovely, Paul. All right. Yeah. So you, you retire to the south of France. But, you know, you've sold your home and you need to transfer the money into euros. And so, again, a service like this would be really good for that. And and also maybe your pension is still your headscape pension, which I'm sure is massive, isn't it? You've been investing well in your pension over the years, Marcus. Massively, Paul. Massively. Yeah. I know how seriously you take pensions. So now I'll be paid in UK and you'll need it in euros. So, so there's lots of different ways. You get the idea. So you can find out more about um, Currency Fair by going to currencyfair.com forward slash B-O-A-G. All right. So I think that about wraps us up. Marcus, do you have a joke for us? I do have a joke. This is from Jeff Meads in the Berg World Slack channel. Uh, it's a kind of new favourite. It's a tiny bit on PC, but um, there you go. I'm going to do it anyway. So what do you call... You're having a Jerry Cl- Jeremy Clarkson moment. Uh, yeah. What do you call a hard-of-hearing country singer? Right. Dolly Pardon. <laughs> that is terrible. It's not. It's is really that re- good. Come on. Is that really considered not very PC these days? Well, I'm picking on the deaf, aren't I? Which is not very nice. They deserve it. <laughs> but they can't hear this podcast, can oh, they? Oh, damn. Stop now. Got stop, tra- Paul, Paul, stop. We've got a transcription. <laughs> Shit, I'm in yes, trouble. Calf, leave that bit out. <laughs> My wife now transcribes this, so she'll leave that out. She's very... No, she won't. She'll she'll put it in big letters. I know her. Right. So, yes. Um, moving on. Talking about Slack, actually. That's a really good point. Check out our Slack channel if you're not already on it. Um, for people like Drew, they're sad and lonely and have no friends and work by themselves the whole time. Harsh. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm just saying. If you work by yourself, like me and Drew, then um, the Slack channel is a great place to kind of hang out and, and meet other people and... and um, and share crap jokes, apparently. Um, you can go to boagworld.com forward slash slacking and sign up there, and I'll add you as soon as I um, get around to it. I really should automate it, but I haven't quite managed that yet. Um, so where can people find out about you guys? Dan, do you want us to kick off? Where where can they find out more about you? Best place is probably Twitter, at DE, and uh, check out my work at nodividestudio.com. And you're taking on work at the moment, aren't you, as I believe? 
I am. Thank you very much for the plug. Yeah, well, that's um, all right. I was just, <laughs> you, I, I, you was, I just noticed on on Twitter. Early, oh, was it? On, it was on Slack. You were having a chat. Ah, yes. You got a bit of capacity, yeah, yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. Kind of had a, a client um, drop out, so we kind of are, are busy on development, but design. I'm kind of immediately available, so looking for new stuff to be working on. Cool. And Marcus, uh, how you guys are really busy at the moment, aren't you? Yes, we are. Yep. So, so that's good. So you don't want any work. So give all of the work you would have taken to Headscape, give it to No Divide. Is that, is that right, Marcus? No, no, is that no, okay? no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, go on then. Uh, where, so where are you? So, you're, so headscape.co.uk. And what's your Twitter ID? At Marcus67. Okay, cool. And Sam, what about you? Uh, my website is uh, thesambarns.com and Twitter at thesambarns. Okay, so and then finally, Drew... Uh, on Twitter, I'm Drew M, and you can see what we do at grabaperch.com. And tell, that joke. tell the joke, Drew. Tell the joke. It's a good one. Oh, well, this is um, uh, just talking about um, ways of being um, productive and, uh, and what have you, you know, getting things done and all that. Um, it's, uh, Merlin Mann uh, famously said that joining a Facebook group about creative productivity is like buying a chair about jogging. <laughs> that's a good one yes very, good. very true Merlin Man is a wise wise man in so many ways and also does some brilliant podcasts if you ever want a real good giggle so there you go that wraps up this week's show thank you very much for listening and we will be back again next week um, where we talk about more pointless stuff thank you and goodbye bye Oh, yeah.